in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my verbose co-host, Patrick Pister. <laughs> hey, Mark, how are you doing today? Doing awesome, Patrick. What episode is this, Patrick? We are on episode number 48. No, episode number 48, and we have an awesome guest today. We do. We're here at um, National Oil Well Oil- Varco's office, one of their many offices here in Houston, and we've got Jeb uh, Nieder. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. So you are the vice president of HSC leadership development here. Right. Jed, before we start actually talking about what you're doing now, I kind of want to know your backstory. Like, how'd you even get into the oil and gas industry? By accident. (laughs) I actually come from an oil and gas family, but uh, I was in management consulting. And one of my clients was NOV back when they were NOI uh, with very few employees at the time. Back yeah, you're, in 19, date, you're dating yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> back in 1994, and I sold them a project to help them reduce their costs and improve their revenues. And then uh, I kept them as a client until 08 when I was invited to come full-time. Yeah. Wow. So that was a long time ago you got started. And when you came in in, in uh, 2008, uh, what did you, what, how'd you come in the door? What role did you have then? Well, the vice president of sales and marketing um, asked me to come develop a sales training curriculum and uh, take over a a program that he'd started called the NOV Purdue Sales Leadership Program, which was a partnership with uh, uh, Purdue University. And uh, I'd written uh, the book on coaching, and he wanted me to teach sales coaching as well. So that's how I came. I came as vice president of sales effectiveness. Yeah. And so that was 2008. That's right when people start and our companies started realizing that sales itself was a science, right? And that it was repeatable, it was predictable, but you had to have the right training in place. Before that, it was it was almost like the Wild West because I was I was in sales during that time before where basically they would hire somebody that could talk. Um, give them a corporate credit card and throw them a bunch of accounts and go to it and you had the guys that would pass and you have the guys that would fail. Um, but that's not the right way to develop a team of any sorts, is it? Oh, uh, not in my view. One of the things that I was surprised about when I came with National Oil Varco is um, I'd be on an airplane and, you know, you talk to the guy next to you and he says, what do you do? And I tell him and he goes, well, I'm in the oil and gas business. We don't have any sales training curriculum <laughs> and I don't know anybody that does. You're unique. Yeah. And that was surprising to me. Yeah. It's, um, but you can train those skill sets and you can help people develop uh, the parts that they're weaker and to the point that they actually become a much higher performance salesperson and honestly a much better salesperson. Right. And we found out also from our studies uh, internally, as well as looking at statistics that uh, uh, had been accumulated externally, that uh, you can improve the average salesperson's sales by about 18% through effective sales coaching. You can also, if you have sales coaching that isn't any good, you can reduce 
<laughs> reduce their effectiveness, <laughs> which was a surprise. But it's is true. that eighteen percent on the bottom line, or just make eighteen percent more cold calls? Because <laughs> no, eighteen percent on the bottom line. Yeah. yeah, and so the thing about that coming from that world is when you have good leadership in sales, and a good example is, is after you leave a, a prospect meeting, if you actually have one-on-one coaching right there that, that's non-judgmental, that's actually trying to help, it's, it helps develop you as a salesperson so much better because you have yeah. an extra pair of eyes watching what's going on and it can point things out. But the flip side of that is that sales manager that beats you down because you didn't say the right thing at the right time. That drives performance the other way. Right. And you're quite right, Mark. If you have kind of on-site coaching right after the interview, um, it's the most effective. But if you wait a couple days and you interview your salesperson and she says, well, this happened and this happened as a sales manager, what are you going to say? Well, you could have done this. You could, they don't know they weren't there. Right. And that's the other thing that's so important, uh, that I've found is joint work is two people going and then debriefing each other. Um, they wind up coaching each other. They wind up becoming better salespeople every time they have an interview with a client. And let me tell you, top performing salespeople, even though they're top performers in the company, they still do this, right? It's, it's a never, and you never get there. There's always stuff you can learn. Well, and this, this topic of doing these reviews immediately after it's similar to you know, discussions we've had about HSE, having after, after, after action reviews, actually talking about the job you did so you can make right. it better, safer, more efficient the next time. It's all kind of from the same mindset. You do that in HSC, you do it in sales and operations. And I think the oil and gas industry is starting to realize that you have to do these continuous improvement blitzes or policies to whatever department you're trying to make better. That's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is kind of in a roundabout way. I know this is hs and podcast. <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> and we've been talking about sales. But one of the things that's kind of cool here is you made that journey, right? So you made that journey. You came in the door to help uh, lead and develop sales teams. and But now you're trying to do the same thing with hs and Right. Yeah. So what was that journey like? What was it like going from sales over to hs and Well, first of all, I had to study. <laughs> I had to learn what HSE was all about because all, I only knew the the letters and what it meant barely. However, I've got a background. My father was um, an oil and gas executive, and he was known for safety, interestingly enough. And he used to design buildings and uh, even gas meters to be safe. And his motto was, if it isn't safe, we don't do it. And so I've always had a pair of eyes for what is safe and what isn't. Everything from getting out of the tub and being careful I don't slip and break something to driving safely to... It's amazing once you have those glasses on, you can't take them off. You see it everywhere. Yeah, it's like that. So when I got this new opportunity and I was asked to develop uh, our HSE personnel as leaders, not just experts... I uh, was already committed and enrolled in safety and having people be safe and well and, and go home in the same condition they came to work in the morning. I was already committed to that. Now what I had to do is I had to learn, well, what do these people do? Uh, you know, what, what is an audit? And safety audit, what's that? How does it work? And how do you know what to look for? And how do you know what to ask? So, yeah, it was quite a transition. I love that background, too, because we talked at lunch there are a lot of HSE professionals that don't have a traditional HSE training, college education. You come from operations or another part of the company and move into HSE. That transition is if you've you've been on one side of the audit, so you know an audit's coming up. You know they're a yearly mm-hmm. or monthly. 
so you understand from your side and maybe your side didn't like HSE in the past because they were, you know, we talked about being the police. How do you mentally make that switch? I mean, yes, you want to learn everything you there is to know about your new job in HSE, but how do you get in the mindset of operations is let's, let's get it done to stepping back and doing things safely, efficiently while still working with operations to get things done? Well, my philosophy is you don't get anything done in business without relationship. It all starts with relationship. And I began to build relationships inside the HSE NOV community and outside for that matter. And it sounds funny, but you've sometimes got to sell people on being safe. You've yeah, of course. Sell people on behaving safely. You've got to sell people on wearing their PPE, for God's sake. So the transition was pretty easy for me because I tapped into what I know about people and how to influence people and things not to do. Yeah. So actually, I want to go back. One of the things we talked about at lunch was the whole uh, Grant Pryco story you told me with the Cool Invest. Yeah. It's a great story. You mind retelling that? No, I don't mind at all. One of my friends and colleagues is Ash Menon, who's vice president of manufacturing for our Grant Pryco division up in Navasota. And he invited me to come to their 40th uh, year celebration. So Grant Pride Co. had been around yeah. uh, for 40 years, and we bought them eight years ago, something like that. So anyway, Ash and I are friends, and he invited me to the 40th anniversary, and the president, Brett Chandler, was there. And, and so Brett is telling all these guys at lunch, listen, we live in a great city, Houston, but it gets really hot. In uh, July and August and the first part of September, I want you guys to stay hydrated. It's hot out there, the work you're doing. I don't want anybody to get heat exhaustion, stay hydrated, take breaks. And I heard that speech three times, three different lunches. And it struck me that, well, they make cooling vests. What about that? Why? So I came back to my office and I got on the internet and I started looking around and I found out that one of our partners, Bullard, makes these great cooling vests, two different kinds. So I tell my boss about it, and he goes, uh, well, how much are they? I said, well, you know, 120 150 bucks." I said, I don't think they're going to be able to afford them. You know, they're driving their costs down as far as they can. He says, hell, we'll buy them for them. Yeah. He says, buy 20 of them and get them up there and get them to test them. We'll see if, they, and if that's not the right brand, we'll get the right brand. And that's kind of boss I got. He's... <laughs> He's great. So I called Ash up and I said, hey, Ash, how'd you like to? But he says, what? You do that for us? And then I got a nice note from the president and all that. But that came out of having a relationship with Ash about his business. I mean, that guy runs an effective business. He reduced their costs so that they've been able to sell pipe uh, for, for 10 bids. They win nine of them this year. Uh, because they've driven their costs down. And he's done things so that all the employees get to stay at work because he's got to deal with the county so that they pay part of their their wages. And then he invests in training, right? So he gets a grant from the Texas Workforce Commission of $800,000 to help train these people. And so I, I revel in people's success. And, and, and so I'm interested in their business first. I guess that's really what I want to say. I'm interested in their business and how can I help you be successful? It might not be through safety. It might be through 
telling people how great you are. I don't know. So the cool thing about this story is if, if you understand what he just talked about, it was that relationship that uh, had, had built that allowed him to see this opportunity, right? Then come back to Mothership National. Well, we had Bill Crabb on our show, so we know Bill. And then and then do the right thing for the people there. I mean, that literally is the right thing to do. Well, it shows you the benefit of fresh eyes there. He had, you know, three separate meetings where the guys are talking about the traditional knowledge about how to stay cool and hydrated. So take breaks, take your water, stay hydrated, don't overwork, and some fresh eyes. Well, I know of this product that could potentially help out. Let's let's talk about it. But I've seen a lot of companies have that same conversation, whether it's cooling vest or another product that you can implement. And everybody gets so caught up on the $120 per person to put out there. And we talked at lunch, when you think of the cost of having an incident, having somebody get heat exhaustion or heat stroke or right. worse, the cost of the lost time, the hospital, the possible lawsuit, $120 per person, if you had one incident, would have been, would have been nothing to that operation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Jed, I have to ask you, when you talk, think about leadership development, and you've done leadership development in a lot of places, right? You've done it in sales, you've done HS&E. What is the key of doing that? What is, what is the two or three things when you're talking about developing leaders that you really have to hit? Okay, the, the number one thing is people need to be committed to being a leader. Otherwise, anything that I might do with them is falling on deaf ears. So they internally, they need to say, yes, I want to be a leader. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to be a leader. I want to improve. You can't just mandate that. Uh, you can't just take a person in a position and say, okay, you're going to be a leader and now you're going to learn how to do it. It's, it's got to come from within. And then you got to deal with the person in a, in a personal way that, that works best for them. Now, there are some people, if you bang them on the knuckles, that works. And there are some people, you you get up underneath them and support them, that works. And there are some people, if you just keep encouraging them, that works. I mean, I used to play football, and I, I'll never forget my coach played quarterback. I'm in the backfield, and he's got this new play we're trying to learn at practice. And it's all this intricate ball handling, and I keep dropping the damn ball. <laughs> and I finally picked the ball up, and I looked at the coach, and I said, Coach, I can't do this. He said, sure you can. Come on, let's run it again. Well... I learned a lot that day. And you don't, if you don't buy people's stuff and you just keep encouraging them, all of a sudden they learn how to do it. So of course I learned how to do the play. And, and uh, so I like that. Yeah, so, so there is no one size fits all leadership development, right? It's, it's personalized yeah. to each individual. Yeah. And coaching as well. Um, I was a pilot in the army and my um, first instructor, uh, I didn't move fast enough for him. Uh, hit the throttle or push the pedals, whatever. So we had a meeting with the head instructor and him, and he said to me, so, you know, you, you should be ready to solo yet, and you're not. What's going on? And I said, uh, I can't do things fast enough for him, so I just gave up. And so the instructor goes, why would you do? And the other, the head instructor says, no, no relax, relax. He says, okay, Jed, I'm going to get you a new instructor. I'm going to introduce you to Ed Stiller. I still remember the guy's name. He says, uh, come on out, and I'll introduce you. So I introduced him, or he introduces me, and he says, okay, let's go take her up. And we get out, and he has me fly the plane and land the plane. And then we're taxiing in, and he opens the door, he steps out, and he says, okay, go. 
I said, what? He says, you're ready to solo. Get out of here. And I took it up. So how did I go from jerk to airplane solo in one day? I did it because he let me fly the plane. Right. Yeah. So I did a four years in Marine Corps. I, that would not have been called a meeting. So I kind of want to circle back here because you've touched on a lot of really big stuff. A lot of what we've talked about here is what helps develop the culture of an organization, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things I was um, talking about with the admin up front when I came in is I love National All Wells Barco. I love your culture. I've loved your culture for years. It's a big company doing really big stuff, but sometimes it feels like a family. Yeah. And we're talking about today that y'all are able to pull that off. Not only do you have people from different backgrounds, you have people from different countries that have totally different cultures, and yet you all work together. Yeah. Now, what's the secret of that? Well, I think it's what you said, family. It's We experience being a family. The other thing is there's, a, there's an oil and gas culture, too. This can be dangerous work, and a lot of us have had uh, relatives or friends uh, hurt badly or even uh, killed. There's a certain bond that you... You develop and respect for each other for being in the industry in the first place. And then you take the people around here. I mean, how many places do you go and call the CEO by first name? Yeah, no, nowhere. Yeah, well, everybody does here. And and he's he's committed to knowing everybody if he, if he can. And that's pretty hard with 33,000 people, but he does his best. And um, everybody's approachable. There isn't anybody. Here, here's it. The way I explain it to people when I hire them is I say, treat everybody like a colleague because everybody is your colleague. Nobody's lesser than, nobody's greater than, everybody's a colleague. And if you remember that, you'll do fine here. Yeah. So how we talked about at lunch that it's a lot of your corporate policies are not mandated. Right. You, you and we, we had this discussion in the last podcast with Bill Crabb, but I don't think we dive very deep into it, or I guess I didn't understand how, because there are a lot of companies out there that have corporate HSC policies and they're mandated. Everybody in the company has to follow them. Right. And they still don't. So how does NOV have a culture that has corporate policies that aren't mandated, but you still get buy-in? Not only buy-in, it's such a great safety culture. In fact, I, I would, I would hesitantly or not non-hesitantly say this is one of the greatest safety culture in any company I know. I mean, your frontline people believe in it. Yeah. But there's no one cracking the whip saying you were going to follow this policy because it, it was handed down on high and that's this is the law. It's more of a these are new policies that are working in this region. We would like everyone to adopt it. But if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. How how then do you get that adoption? Well, it starts with uh, telling people what you're really up to. So being transparent. You know, at the end of this conversation, I would like you to adopt this policy. Now, if you don't adopt it, Okay. And we'd like you to adopt the policy. So let me share with you where it came from, what are some of the things in it, and then you can ha- ask questions. And uh, you know, if we need to make some changes, we will. So that's an invitation to participate and have it be theirs rather than ours, if you could hear that. Yes. And uh, so that's how we instituted our company-wide management, HSE management policy is by bringing in the people from all the different business segments and business units and inviting them. Well, first of all, we had several of those people write it. <laughs> and the rest of them, we invited them to, to come on board and get their feedback and get their coaching and get their edits. 
And then we came up with the thing and uh, it got established. That's a very millennial style because the, that generation wants to know why. They'll, they'll still do it, but they want to hear the why and yeah. the fact that corporate NOV is leading with the why. Here is what we have. This is how we came up with it, why we think it's a good idea, and why we think it will make you more successful. Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing I really like about this is they allowed the different business units to have ownership of this from the beginning. So it wasn't shoved down their throat. It was like, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Come help us build this thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, of course, they have some ownership and they have some pride because it's theirs. They built it. Uh, yeah. So, so I can see why people would buy into that because they own part of it. Yeah. And you mentioned culture. And for me, culture is a conversation. So what's the nature of the conversation we have around here? That's the culture. If you want to change a culture, you change the conversation. I consulted to a mining company, copper mining company. They had the worst safety record in their company of every site in the world. For 15 years, they'd had the worst safety record. Ouch. And they put together a team that I coached. Their job was to go from worst to first. And they did it in a year. And here's how they did it. They found out what the conversation was for safety at the mine, what the conversation was, and the smelter. What the conversation was is, this is dangerous work, and people are going to get hurt. That was the little voice playing in the back of their minds every day when they went to work. So what they did is they changed the conversation to, nobody's getting, nobody's getting hurt on my watch, no way, no how. Not very sophisticated, but everybody could say it. All 500 employees could say it. And they said it, and they did it. And they, they instituted things like uh, uh, near misses. And they played a game. How many near misses can we get this month? And uh, they turned the whole thing around in one year. Why? Because it was a new conversation. But you have to get to the conversation that's in the background that's showing up in the foreground. Know, where are these accidents coming from? Are they coming from this culture where this is dangerous work, people are going to get hurt, so we're resigned to it? Or are they happening inside a culture of nobody's getting hurt on my watch, no way, no how? I, l I love that message and that you brought it up because I've heard the oil field, it's zero incidents. That will be the corporate policy everywhere. Yeah. But I've heard senior level managers in the hall leaving a meeting about HSE Zero is our goal, but yeah, it's not really attainable, so we'll, we'll do our best. Yeah. They've already started off with the, we'll accept some level. They haven't defined what that level is. Their, their public face says zero, but in the back of their mind, like, well, we don't want to kill anybody, but we'll, we'll take X number of injuries, and, and hopefully it's not my rig or my plant or my operation. But just like you said, if you have that in the back of your mind, if that's the the coffee room chatter, that's what's going to dominate your culture. That's what's going to happen, too. Yeah. You're going to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to say you talk about trying not to, walking down the street, don't run into this pole, don't run into this pole. Don't, well, you're saying run into the pole over and over and over in your mind. Your body is naturally going to lean towards the pole versus... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, so what's funny about this, Patrick, you did a perfect segue where I wanted to go next. Excellent. That was my plan. Yeah. <laughs> so not just running the pole, but... Um, Jeb, have you ever went up a ladder and ran into somebody? <laughs> <laughs> only once, right? right? <laughs> yeah, only once, as a matter of fact, now that you mentioned it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And so when that happened, what popped into your head? Well, what happened... The guy is, in front of him? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> the, reason, the reason I ran to the guy in front of me is I couldn't see him, because you can't see through a hard hat. And so 
when I was on the ladder, I was I kind of gave up trying to see up, and I was just watching my feet hit the uh, what do they call it the steps the, the rungs the yeah. rungs at the top of the rig on the platform. The uh, tour guide called a halt, but I didn't hear it. Person in front of me heard it, and when they stopped, I didn't, and boom, right into them, and both of us almost fell off the the ladder. So when I got to the top, I asked the guy, I said, hey, do they make a hard hat you can see through? And he says, mm, I don't think so, but it sounds like a good idea. And so uh, you want me to go on with this story? No, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. It's a great story. So um, I, got, I got down off the platform. I'm walking around the rig, and boom, I hit a crossbar because I couldn't see it. And I go, oh, this is nuts. They've got to make something you can see through. So I, I went home, and I made a drawing of a hard hat that would have a see-through front brim. And I took it to my boss the next morning. Now, mind you, I'm vice president of sales effectiveness now, and I've just been hired a month ago. Right. And uh, I'm bringing him a drawing of a hard hat. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I don't know how he's going to... We're worried about your focus on your actual job. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, so I showed it to him, and he went, wow, what a great idea. Why didn't anybody think of this before? Here, form a team. Do this, do this, you know, call Mike Lucades, get moving on this right away. I go, okay. And that's the kind of company this is too, where it doesn't have to be our core business. If there's a good idea and it's going to keep people safer, why don't we investigate it and see what's going on? And so to make a long story short, we got the patent uh, for a hard hat that you can see through. We also trademarked the name above you. And we got a partner, Bullard Industries, who invented the hard hat in 1919 to manufacture it for us. And so now we've got the above you hard hat. Look at, looking at it on the table, it seems like such a simple idea. I would have expected yeah. the patent to be sitting on someone's shelf that <laughs> they had this idea back in 1920 and just yeah. never, never ran with it. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's a great story, but it goes to show that there's still ways out there you can move the needle. And sometimes it's ridiculously simple. And, and that, it is a great idea. It's a great invention. We talked about it on our previous show. I think this may be the third episode we've talked about, but we finally have it from the horse's mouth. Oh, so. no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, you know, we need to get some pictures of this and, and put it in the show notes because it's just a simple, great, really good idea. And the thing that I love about this is y'all could have kept this to yourself. Y'all could have used it just for NOV, right? Could have kept it internally, but y'all aren't doing this. You're selling this to anybody that wants to buy, including your competitors. Yeah, well, we don't sell them. Bullard, oh, sells, Bullard sells them. them right. Bullard sells them. We're not in the hard hat business, but we are in the business of safety. And that's why Clay Williams, our CEO, and Bill Crabb allowed us to have this as a project and finance it and see it through to the end. Yeah, and so you're driving safety for everybody, which I think is like really cool. And you can't imagine how many people it took to get this thing through because this is nobody's job. Do you understand? It's nobody's job to to do this. So it was all about selling people on the idea and and getting their time and attention and, and money to move it forward. And so I learned a whole lot about selling and people uh, in this process. Do you have a BOP with see-through ram blocks so you can see your clothing <laughs> and share the pipe? <laughs> Watch. So I, I think that might be physically impossible, <laughs> but if it's not, somebody's writing this down right now. Patent pending. Patent pending. And um, before we get too much uh, mail from our listening audience, we're not going to go into the amount of people that are supposed to be on a ladder at any one time. And <laughs> Oh, right. I yeah. learned that when I got off the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> so this is all really great stuff, Jed. It's actually time for our, our 
Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week, and I'm going to actually do the Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so, when you're driving in traffic in an area that you're not familiar with, you need to make sure your mirrors are adjusted correctly and that you're using them at all times. I literally had somebody change lanes on the way up here, and if my mirrors wouldn't have been adjusted properly, I wouldn't have seen the, their car coming to my rear quarter panel. They would have hit me. Like only because my mirrors were just right did I see it and I was able to move and get out of the way. That's a good tip. My truck has automatic seat uh, memory. So when my wife and I get in to change, but it does not change the mirrors. So you have to... Yeah. Change and that's them. one of those things that can't be just good enough. Those mirrors need to be adjusted so you see everywhere you need to see with as minimal amount of blind spots. So Mark's safety tip of the week for Red Wing. <laughs> then now it's about time for us to do our uh, Red Wing bag winner. Now our Red Wing bag winner, the offshore bag winner for this week is... Adam Bryden, he's an HSE manager at Stewart Pressure Controls. Congratulations, Adam. Yep. And if you'd like to win your own Red Wing offshore bag, which, Jed, it's right there. That's what all the equipment was in. Wow. Yeah, it's really easy. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there. We draw one lucky winner a week. See official site for rules and details. We should put one of these hard hats in the bag that goes out next week. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's actually not a bad idea. Might have to talk to us. Might have to see if uh, if David Reed has budget for that. Yeah. <laughs> Get, pull out of his budget. Then a little bit, we have a LinkedIn group. If you like the show, do, uh, do me a favor. Uh, go join the LinkedIn group. It's a companion to this show and all our other shows. And then, Patrick, we're going to do something I haven't even talked to you about. So we're getting some um, very nice lapel pins made for OGGN, for Oil & Gas Global Network. All right. And what we're going to do is anybody that leaves a review for any of our shows, we're going to take the reviews and put them in a bucket. And once a month, we're going to pull somebody out, and they're going to win this OGGN lapel pin. These are one of a kind. You can't get them anywhere else. They're instant status symbol because it's OGGN. <laughs> so if you want to win one of these pins, get a leg up on everybody else and start giving us reviews. And we are taking off OGGN. There's some counterfeit uh, LinkedIn profiles out yes, there. Yeah. And, yeah, crazy stuff. So uh, uh, Patrick and I would love for you, to, for you to leave us a review for the show. Um, it's really simple to do unless you're trying to do it on your iPhone. Then it's a little bit more challenging. But But possible. But it's possible. Doable. And like I said, give us a review and you will put you in the drawing for the lapel pins we're getting, right? If you like the show, can you do me a favor? Can you share it? Uh, it's allingashse.com. No, it's not. Uh, you're right. <laughs> I do this every time. It's allingashse.com. There you go. Yeah. Uh, give us your email address. Uh, soon, We're actually working on a live event. People that give us an email address on the website will be the first to know. People in the LinkedIn group will be the second to know. And then if you... Uh, like the show, can you do us a favor and share it? Do the all company email thing. We have it. Please, yeah, yeah please. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have to thank our on the road sponsors, Total Total Land, the world's most advanced field land management system, the Landman's virtual office virtual office. If you're in that world, go check them out. They're great people. And then Lee Heck Harrison, they're global experts in talent management. Lee Heck Harrison currently helps over three quarters of oil and gas companies with their workforce. LHH.com. Yeah. So uh, if you'd like Patrick to come talk to your HSE event, your trade association, your company event, conference, schools, whatever, reach out to us and we'd be happy to share the details. Now, Jed, if people wanted to find out more about National Oil Well, we'll of course send them to nationaloilwell.com. But if people want to find out more about you, your LinkedIn profile? Yeah. 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 And, and you're actually an author. Right. Yeah. So um, Jed was kind enough to give Patrick and I presents of a couple of books <laughs> that he wrote. Uh, we will come back later and leave and figure out what the reviews are on the books after we've read them. Yeah. Not before. Not before. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're gifts. You don't have to read them. Oh, I'd actually, <laughs> actually to coach anyone. I'm really interested in that. I'm going to read the, uh, the coaching soup for the cartoon sold to my kids. I think they'd like the pictures and everything in that. I think they might. Yeah, so, um, I guess events. 
Uh, we've got Summer Nape coming up in uh, August 16th to 17th. Yeah, all the podcasts will be at Summer Nape. Um, that's going to be a great time if uh, you want to come out and listen to us do a podcast live. We'll be recording some from the, the show itself. If you're in that upstream world, you need to be there. Uh, we've got the IEDC Human Factors Conference and Exhibition. That's uh, that's ways out October 17th to 18th. The TIBCO Energy Forum, TIBCO Energy Forum, September 6th through the 7th. Yeah, so you wouldn't think an HSNE show would be at big data analytics show, but we love that show last year. And they invited us back again. We're going to go. And we're actually in discussions with a company to actually be a sponsor for all the OGGN shows at the TIPCO Energy Forum. That'd be great. Yeah. And if y'all are going to go to the to the TIPCO Energy Forum here in Houston, reach out to Mark and myself and we'll, we'll We'd love, to, love to connect, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because that big data analytics, that's entering HS&E. I mean, it's, 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 actually, it's here already. And it's something that only drives good value. And those, TIPCO is a great, group, great company, great group of people. Younger audience in oil and gas than, than normally a lot of, a lot of technology guys and their, their hackathon at the end of the conference is it's, I saw it sold out already there. Yeah. And I'm actually hosting a panel there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, forgot to tell you that too. So that, <laughs> you want to come listen to me host Always a panel. the last to know. Always the last to know. Other than that, did we, uh, did we cover everything? Patrick? I think so. so yeah. Um, Jeb, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show. This is a great interview. Really some really good insight. We really appreciate it. We, you know, we're a big fan of National Oil Well. Y'all are doing really great work. Um, Thank you. Yeah, just glad to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting Pleasure. me. It's really been a privilege to be with you guys today. Thanks. Yeah, nobody ever says it's a privilege to be with us. <laughs> Thank you. That makes us feel better. You ready to get out here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. Well, the one I the one I can think of was in a sales training thing where the guy said, the facilitator, facilitator said, okay, everybody pair up in groups of three. <laughs>